hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. I wanted to say thank you to everybody who has been subscribing on the Patreon, uh, especially people who've been subscribing at the $5 level to get access to The Resistance, which is my solo show from last year. Thank you to all of the new listeners who've been sending me messages, people who've come off the bugle. This is Tea with Alice, where I have uh, difficult, I talk about difficult ideas with all the most interesting people I know and meet. And uh, this week's episode is with Samina Zera, who is an immigrant, an activist, an artist, and an excellent human being. And I stayed with her in Brighton when I was doing my preview there a week or so ago, and we had this lovely chat. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. She's a, she's an excellent person and a character without being that kind of exaggerated, performative person. She's just inherently a really interesting, uh, interesting character of a human and uh, I really, I really love chatting to her just generally, and I liked having her on the podcast. Talked about all sorts of things, and I'll let you discover what they were. Uh, nothing too um, controversial in terms of. Uh, I don't think there's anything in here that would be triggering, if that's something that you're concerned about. Uh, generally, how do you feel about that kind of content warning? I feel like. It doesn't do any harm if there's somebody who is very sensitive on a certain topic to mention it beforehand um, for fear of making them, I mean, even just upset. Although I don't really think being upset is the worst thing that can happen in the world. Uh, In this instance, podcasts are something that, you know, you put right in your head. You only listen to them when you're in the mood, when you're receptive to them. You're kind of very open to them. It's one of the most wonderful things about this podcast is I get incredible emails from people who really really feel the things that I'm talking about or have opinions on them. And if you want to email me, alicerfraser at gmail.com is the place to do it. Or tweet me at alliterative if you have a thought that be, that can be condensed in either one or a series of 140 character notes. Uh, look me up on the internet if you want merch. I have merch, uh, alicefraser.com. I can't believe I have merch. I've been doing this for a while now and I've never had the coordination to do it. But my friend Sarah in Adelaide just offered to help out and she hand stamps the necklaces which say no one's gonna die we're all gonna die which is my little motto and uh, she hand draws the emotional baggage bags and she just does this incredible thing for me Uh, of course I you know she takes a cut but uh, I'm not exploiting her at least I hope I'm not exploiting her more than she wants to be exploited but it's an incredibly generous offer and I would like to uh I mean, I would like you to have my merch if you want it, but I'd also like for her to have this little business side thing because it's a fantastic, it's just a fantastic thing, really. If somebody likes you and they like your work enough to to want to be part of it, I don't know. Maybe that's a really weird thing to say. Maybe I shouldn't be showing you behind the curtain. I don't know. I'm in the middle of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, guys. My judgment is <laughs> impaired. I uh, am one week in, one week in to Empire at the Edinburgh Fringe. I've done four shows so far. They've all been really nice. I was super worried about my first Friday and Saturday night at 10pm. 10 is the latest slot I've ever done at a festival. I don't think of myself as a late night act, really. Um, If only because I sort of, um, I talk quite fast. And uh, I don't know that drunk people would be able to or want to keep up with that. I feel like drunk people should have slow, relaxing comedy or very aggressive, shouty comedy. So it can sort of um, penetrate the fuzz but maybe that's just me being judgmental of of drunkenness I don't know I did have a, a chatty man in the second row last night but he was fine he was my kryptonite demographic which is 
it's just true. Hashtag not all guys, but it's always these guys. Very particular sort of demographic of, of usually oh, middle-aged men who I think the thing is that, and I don't want this to be like super gendered or anything, but it, it's just they've never been in a circumstance where they wouldn't be allowed to talk, where someone like me would. Maybe that's putting too much on a, too much analysis. Maybe they're just chatty people. Uh, but uh, this guy had a few things to say. Nothing mean, just sort of contributing. <laughs> you know, I had a bit about ticket ticket handling fees, online ticket handling fees, which is a little personal beef of mine, uh, particularly with some of the ones in Australia, some of the monopoly ones where they take like nine dollars out of every ticket, which is a ripoff for the for the audience and it's a ripoff for the performer. It's a, it's a very strange thing, I think. Um, particularly in the age of automation and the internet where it doesn't cost $9 to process a bloody Visa card. Anyway, so I have a little dig about that in one of my songs and he sort of chipped in and went, well, we paid cash, which a couple of things like that where he was sort of not even correcting me or uh, arguing with me in any way. He was just adding his life experience into into my jokes, which, I mean, jokes are necessarily reductive and my jokes tend to be personal, so... It, I don't think it was in. It wasn't necessary, but it, it it made me laugh, and it gave me an opportunity to be mean, uh, in a totally appropriate way. <laughs> well, not mean, but you know, slam him down. Yeah, sassy, whatever. Look, I'm rambling. I will let you get on. This is a very long intro. I will let you get on with listening to the podcast. Thank you, everybody who's subscribing to the Patreon. You can do it for a, a dollar. Uh, you can do it for a dollar per episode. You can do it for. However much money you want, it's a really an incredible thing um, to do. You don't have to. You can just subscribe and read my blogs. There's only a few that are $1 and above subscribers. There tend to be the posts that I uh, I feel sort of cost me something to, um, to make where I'm sort of putting something on the line. And other than that, uh, it's, it's mainly free access and you can just subscribe and follow me there uh, and you'll get updates. I think you can set it to give you updates that's that. I think that is all the admin other than if you have friends in Edinburgh or are in Edinburgh, send send them or come along uh, because I'm in a very big room and would like to have people in it. It's been really good so far. I'm not uh, I'm very lucky so far in all of my Edinburgh experience to have avoided the average audience size, which I think is about six. So <laughs> that's all. That's it. That's enough. Oh, you're having tea with Alice. See you next week. Oh, who are you and what are you drinking? I'm Samina and I am drinking coffee. Coffee. That's lovely, good. lovely coffee. It's not quite tea, but I'll take it. Oh, are we supposed to be drinking tea? No, it's fine. <laughs> tea is a state of mind. Oh, is it? I've never liked tea, although I grew up in a family where everybody drinks tea. But I've always been a coffee drinker. I mean, I have... I'm the opposite. My dad always a very, very strong coffee drinker, very strong black coffee. And I've always been... Are you not a coffee drinker at all? Not at all. Is it like a dog-cat thing that you have to be a coffee person or a tea person, like you have to be a dog person or a cat person? People seem to present it as such, yeah. I think you can be both. I, I mean, I think you can be a dog person or a cat person or, like me, sort of neither. How can you be neither? I quite like them, but I don't feel passionately attached. Oh, yeah, no, that sort of passionately attached thing. But I do love cats. I, I, we had a lovely cat called 
Chairman Miao, who is very, very stupid and once got punched in the face by a squirrel. Wow. He was very stupid, but he was lovely. Um, what have you been wrestling with of late? Um, what have I been wrestling with? Many things, but one of the things I've been wrestling with is, I mean, there's so many things I wrestle with. There's religion and gender and all of those things. But I wrestle with the idea of family and the sanctity of family and the fetishization of family by society as a whole, which I think on the one hand might be a survival imperative, but on the other hand is unbelievably destructive, I think. Ooh, lay that out <laughs> for me more. So what do you think society does? I think that the construction of family and nuclear family especially is um, it's a thing that religion does as well. It's a way of emotionally blackmailing you into a situation that you can't get out of. And we've, we've such a collective unconscious for it now that no matter what your blood family does, we are supposed to eventually forgive them, eventually somehow forge a relationship with them, even when they do things that are unspeakable. So even within law, like this idea that a, that a, a spouse cannot be compelled to give evidence against their spouse is about maintaining the sanctity of that relationship against all else. Like if somebody um, protects their child for having done a heinous crime, they're somehow forgiven for it because, oh, it's their child, everybody protects their child, without recognizing the rights of the, the victim in that crime. So there's, there's that on a very micro level. But generally speaking, I think it's the kind of thing that eventually allows us to, like it's the, it's the microcosm of like, it's, it's family, then it's village, then it's country, then it's all of those things that you are supposed to feel an unbounded loyalty to that end up making you do terrible things. They make you do wonderful and good things as well. But we should do those as human beings anyway, not because it's our family. Mm. That's where I'm sort of broadly coming from. I mean, that is an interesting thing. But you have a very sort of lovely family here. I do, but I, it's partly it's the, f the family I have is the family I chose. So it's my husband and my husband's kids who, uh, you know, I chose to create relationships with and those relationships turned out well, some of them. Um, one of them didn't and I have no relationship with the eldest child. I don't wish him any harm or anything like that. But then I have my, my blood family. I had a very interesting moment with my father recently, who's very obsessed with his family tree. And he, he had done a family tree that went back 43 generations, blah, blah, blah. And he gave it to me and he said, you should be proud of this. And I was like, what is there for me to be proud of? I don't know any of these people. There's a interesting story of the journey of these 43 generations, where they started and how I ended up here. But that's like a human story. It's nothing to do with me personally. And this is not, I'm not related in any real way to these people. And he went, no, no, but they're your family. And then I said to him, well, on this family tree, would you put my stepchildren who are my children? And I'm, I, I feel that they are my children. And he said, well, and he hesitated. I went, well, then it's not a family tree. It's a bloodline. And being as I'm not a racehorse, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> And he was not happy with that at all. But that's my point, is that definition of family for me, 
but even the people that I love the most, like if they did something wrong, what would I do? I wouldn't protect them from the consequences of that action. I would say to them, you have to take responsibility and make amends for the consequences of your actions if they are bad actions. Yeah, I think it's the, this sort of combination of socialization and biology, which when they're put together, are very, very powerful yeah. controlling force in that, you know, there is, I think, some biology in your sense of relationship to people who are related to you by blood. Yeah. If you meet a cousin or something who you've never met before but you know is related to you, there's a fascination to that and there's a connection to that that is different. But that's not biological. That is socialised, isn't it? It's that we have this whole thing of searching for your long-lost relatives and... See, I don't know in that I have done that and I've met cousins and been fascinated by them because there's things that are similar about okay, them to yeah. me and, and you, 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 you see a relationship that you wouldn't think would be there, that there's a mannerism that they have, yeah, that yeah. you have. There's that genetics. Of, genetic yeah, stuff, yeah. and that's fascinating. But then also that's not more powerful than when you meet a new person and you immediately click with them. Yeah. And you're like, oh, we're going to be friends forever. Yeah. And sometimes you are and sometimes you're not, but... So I have a so with family I think look you you I'm I'm concerned or I think about this more in terms of the damage that families do. Mm. Uh when they when the families that work it's fine and you kind of get why you know they love each other but there's you know during christmas it always infuriates me there's this mass thing about everybody complaining about how they have to spend christmas with their families and their so and so is like this and so and so is like that and and she's like, well, don't do it then. Mm. Why, why do we force ourselves into these situations with people that we have nothing in common with, but at the same time we kind of take for granted that they are going to be a, an important part of our life? I don't, I don't buy that. I think you give your family extra leeway and extra, extra consideration, and then there comes a point and you draw a line and you go, there's nothing here. Let's let's move on. Christmas know. is the time of year where you <laughs> resent spending time with the people that you pretend the rest of year, your year that you want to spend time with. Exactly. And then you actually do, and you're like, oh, God. Yeah. Or if you have very... Um, you have ideological differences, or you... You know, like if... The, the horrendous things that happen within families in order to protect the family unit in terms of abuse and you know, whether it's physical or sexual or mental... The and then you know still somebody will have been terribly abused by an uncle or a father or something and then in, they're on their deathbed and you're still supposed to go there and forgive them or get over it or well never mind you know whatever they've done to you they're your parent or your brother or your sister or whatever and I just don't buy that I think it it causes so much unnecessary grief or I see or I've seen people who have been rejected and abused by their parents and they spend their whole lives kind of wanting their approbation or wanting them to be proud of them and you go well do you really want this scummy human being to be proud of you wouldn't you think that if they were proud of you you'd done something wrong really but just because it's the parent and there's some sort of also for parents i think you know why should you love your children your children might be assholes <laughs> you're not obliged to love them or care about them just because they're your children you you've brought them into the world and therefore you have an obligation to do the best for them in terms of setting them on their way in life in terms of education and care and yeah you have the responsibility stability. of building a human being yeah. and making them a functioning unit in the world as yeah. far as you can of course yeah. 
But beyond that, you don't have to like them and you don't have to have anything further to do with it. So the, I, I struggle with that. I, I get why, as human beings, we need protective units and whether that's family or neighborhood or country or whatever it is. But I think the amount of damage it does to us psychologically as well is something that people don't acknowledge enough because even when you're doing all the work to get over that damage, the end goal of that damage is always to somehow get back together. It's very seldom that people will go actually cut this tie yes. and let it go because it's of no use to anybody. Yeah, and even when families do break in that way of you say, well, I have no contact with mm. my aunt or my mother yeah. or whatever it happens to be, that's always seen as a real tragedy yes. in itself Yeah. when it could be the best of all possible yeah. worlds. But I think the family makes a lot more sense when you don't have the state. We've replaced a lot of the functions of the family, which used to be... The only thing standing between you and the wolves yes. was your biological and your built family, yeah. your your family and your family's sort of servants, or you know, or your village, or you, you or the, the people around the, you, you know, the, the lords, yeah, yeah, all of that. And that was that loyalty; those bonds were very important at that point. Of course, then you could never really escape. Exactly. You know, they'd stop someone else from hitting you, but that didn't stop them from hitting you, and so on. I think that I, th I think the idea of unquestioning loyalty to anything, to any ideology, and I think family in that sense can be arguably construed as an ideology as well. Because what is? How do you define family? If you just define it by blood, it's a very narrow definition. Well, you know, unconditional love is explaining away a black eye at a family picnic. Yeah. Like you want to have conditional love. Exactly. You want your love to have. And not, you know, just following blindly the things that, well, it's, it's your, that's, that's, that way, you know, craziness lies, that way all sorts of terrible things happen and are excused and are forgiven and are equivocated, which, which are unbearable. And when you, when you get to the point where you can send, you know, young men and women out to not only die for their country, but to kill for their country and it's acceptable you're you're replicating that thing of going you can not only die for your family but kill for your family and you know it's it's a thing that yeah it's it's difficult isn't it it's difficult to it's human nature to want to be protected and safe and that's why you build that but then who is part of that family and why does it have to be blood and why why was it that you could only ever rely on blood but then there's a but then you create your own family and you create that with somebody else's blood, don't you? Because you get together as a, a wife and a husband or whatever it is and then you have a, a family of your own. So then that family is... Well, you know, blood is thicker than water one. and sperm is thicker than blood. So. Cheese is thicker than blood. Who cares? <laughs> you know, that's such a... Ah, I just... I don't get that at all. I think there's... We, we allow ourselves to do heinous things because of that excuse we do amazing things because because of it as well you know like a parent or a, whoever that you love that you throw yourself in front of a bus for or whatever and that's amazing but we should be able to do that as humans for any other human in danger yeah i think it comes down to i mean we're quite good at glamorizing the throwing in front of a bus thing but the real work that is impossible to do 
and yet people do it is, you know, you have a baby. Yeah. And it needs 24 hours of feeding and caring, and if you don't look after it, it dies. So that kind of, that's a blood bond. Or, I mean, I don't don't know, know if if someone handed you a newborn baby, you probably would look after it. I should hope so. I should hope so. If you had a vulnerable being in your power, you would do your best for that vulnerable being, and it shouldn't matter if it's your own flesh and blood. And of course, to many people, it doesn't. They adopt children, or they are they are carers without being biological parents and the and the converse is true as well you know the opposite is true as well that yeah you can have the some of the worst abuses perpetrated on children by their own parents so yeah it's about putting yourself in other, putting ourselves in one another's power yeah so then then there's a there's a thing about definition of family for me family is defined by the people that you f- you know, very specifically for me that I've chosen to surround myself with, that I've chosen to have the unconditional relationships with. Um, and the love is unconditional, but, you know, everything else is up for grabs and discussion. But even within those relationships, at no point would I justify their bad behavior either to myself or to anybody else, nor would I expect them to justify mine. And I would feel that actually, if you really love and care about somebody, you don't protect them from the consequences of their bad behavior you try and help them to overcome their bad behavior. Mm. And the notion of family or my family right or wrong, my country right or wrong, whatever, sort of, it ho- at the end it holds us back from progressing as human beings. That's also part of my problem with it, which is a very broad sweep statement, really. So I don't know. I mean, it's all very confusing. I have no fixed fixed and absolute view about it but it's there in my mind and it worries me and I think about you know how how I live my life with my family that I've chosen and my family that I've I was given and no doubt I fall short on both counts but I'm trying to find a way of getting through it without being a complete If you want to see somebody get really confused talk to an American patriot about whether they would if they were a soldier go to war for an unjust cause for America. Funnily enough, I did have some conversations like that on a very low level. In, when I was in Kabul in 2007, um, I met American soldiers, a lot of them quite young. I mean, there were a lot of soldiers there because it was the international forces. They are such babies. They are babies. And a lot of them have been just bamboozled into being there. Some of them were sort of like, why are we here? These people haven't done it. No wonder they hate us. They had crossed that line from rah, rah, my country, we're taking democracy, the world, we're the best, we're the best to going. All my friends are dead. We're here in this hostile land, killing these people who have done nothing to us. What is going on? Mm. So that loss of innocence for these 18, 19 year olds who are from inner city America, very poor, uh, you know, these recruitment agencies go out wholesale, pick them up, give them this beautiful sort of, you know, view, vision of America as the savior of the world, and they'll be part of that. Why wouldn't you want to be part of something that noble and fantastic? Of course they turn up. Yeah. I mean, some of them are psychopaths and they just want to kill people. Yes. Like the American sniper or whoever he was, Chris Kyle. But some of them are genuinely, genuinely by that. And I think that vision of, which is a, which is appealing to somebody's gut emotions and that sort of uh, monkey brain, instead of appealing to their reason and intellect and their heart, is at the root of family, it's at the root of religion, it's at the root of nationalism. And 
all of that makes me uncomfortable mm. and all of that is something that i don't like while similarly while at the same time sort of recognizing that we do need things that bring us together and we do need but i think those can be ideas and concepts and chemistry yeah sometimes i think it's when you abdicate responsibility for think- thinking something through mm. and you see that from very early ages where you'll you know as a teenager you'll have a crush on someone who you know intellectually isn't a yeah. good person or whatever it happens to be but we don't really have good tools for for that no we don't for We're overcoming our gut instinct yeah. and our gut reaction we can recognize it in other people of course <laughs> so but much we're easier terrible at doing it ourselves yeah. but i don't know that we're thought taught to think this is a thing as well where you're there's a lot of as a child you question things you question everything mm. and you're slowly taught to not question anything because you're being ungrateful or because you're being stupid or because everybody's always done it this way or it works for everyone else why are you different or you're not special and of course we're not none of us are special we're all grains of sand on the same beach but all of us are special because we're all grains of sand on the same beach and so we're never we there's a real kind of lack of allowing critical thinking because sometimes those questions are hard to answer and there's no easy answer to them and quite often children will ask questions that are you know, impossible to answer that are impossible to answer so you have to like when i was when i stopped believing in god i was 9 and i I made that decision after 2 years of asking people a myriad of questions that nobody could give me a sensible answer to. Mm. You know, if you like the the very easy one is the omnipotent god against all the suffering in the world. Until today nobody can give me an answer. And the the kind of <laughs> you know just easy lies about oh well god gave us you know basically god is like if something good happens i did it if something bad happens it's your fault mm-hmm. that's the default position that makes no sense so the only way to get past those quite difficult questions and look if you're a if you're a parent with a 4-year-old child and another 3-year-old child and maybe a baby you don't want to answer questions you would just want some sleep yes. really is all you want Literally so the easiest thing to go is point. just shut up because i said so and god will kill you <laughs> so whatever the reason whatever the reason that happens but we all buy into it because it's it's comfortable too much thinking is hard work it it's is. hard work to have to always to go through life it's a curse to go through life questioning yourself constantly going why am i doing this what's behind this where is it coming from and at least however whatever lies you tell to other people not lying to yourself it's hard work yeah i find i find that with my comedy like if people don't like my comedy if it's not their thing if that's not what they wanted to do i totally understand that yeah like if you don't want to come into a comedy show and have sort of have to do some thinking thinking yeah likewise then you know and of course sometimes i just want to go home and watch you know rupaul's drag race or something I love completely rupaul's drag race you know just something so to turn your brain off and be yeah i watch rupaul's drag race with the manliest man yeah i know and yeah. he is there's nothing funnier than watching a very australian manly man <laughs> going Oh my god, they're only keeping Pheromone on cuz she's pretty. She can't even sew. She can't even sew. He's right though. He's totally right about that. It makes that. me very happy. Yeah. Like it's the, but you have to have that. You have to have that kind of uh ability to switch off as well. Um but like you, my comedy is also my comedy is basically me asking a lot of questions. Like I have strong opinions, but I'm never and my strong opinions are for me, but I'm never completely sure. 
that I'm not a fraudulent navel gazing wanker. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I I quite possibly am, but that's who I am. I have to deal with that as well. Well, it's an interesting thing in that you don't really know who you are unless you're either under duress yeah. or taking a very long view of yeah. that kind of revealed preference. Well, I, I, you know, I care about the poor. Have you done anything for the poor in the last 20 years? Not really. Yeah. Or, you know, when it's really the chips are down and you have to do something yeah. really difficult. And those are the only two ways in which you can tell... Really, yeah, really who you are and what Because we all, we all think that we are who we feel like we are, yeah. right? Or I we'd feel like, like I'm be. a good person. <laughs> it, it doesn't mean oh, anything. Oh, look, I don't think anybody is good or bad or wholly good or wholly bad. We know that. That would be ridiculous to say that. I mean, there have been all these discussions recently about... Um, various artists you know when when there are people that you like the whole Johnny Depp thing with you know it was such a shock to people that he could be an abuser mm. and they just didn't want to believe it and you're like it doesn't take away from his wonderful performance in Edward Scissorhands or whatever the fuck but you can't pretend he didn't do what he did yeah and that he can be a complete asshole you know Woody Allen married his daughter I'm sorry whatever you may think of his art he did that but we have to be able to separate we don't give people a free ride for the shitty things they do. Yeah. But at some level, you have to separate the legacy of who they are, which will involve good things and bad things. Yeah. And also that people are not a coherent whole. Yeah. You, you, you're not a coherent narrative. The way that you can cope with the world is by telling a story and you yeah. fit into the story in this particular way. But that's actually not how you are. You're just a loosely sort of strung together yeah. series of events. And each event is individual and your responses might change and your attitudes might change and you might do all sorts of things. And so, I th yeah, I think those, those questions kind of need to be asked all the time. And I think the structures that, that demand unquestioning loyalty and of which family is the first, and first one that you learn as a child mm. are detrimental to that. I think they're very detrimental to that and I struggle with that. Um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know what kind of family I belong to. You'd have to ask the members of my family that. They might have a very different view of me. They probably do. Um, as you say, you know, we all have a, we have an idea of who we are and what we'd like to be. And, but then somewhere at the back of my mind is always the thought that I'm, I'm, I will always fall short of the ideal that I want to achieve. But I think that's important. I think people yeah. who are only, who are satisfied with what they can achieve are always going to fall short of what they might achieve. Like, I would much rather set perfection as a goal and fall short of it than be like, oh, yeah, good enough. Yeah. But I think there's a level at which you also have to understand your, that you, are, you have limitations. So you can, you can know that you're going to aim for something and you're never going to achieve it, but never stop striving to achieve it in any case. Yeah. Because otherwise... Like, when I was 18, I wanted to save the world. I thought, there's no point in me doing anything unless it changes the world. Mm. And now that I'm 48, I'm, I understand very well that one small action is good enough for now. But I mustn't stop doing the small action because I can't do the big action. Mm. And that ripple will drift out, I hope, uh, and have some effect elsewhere. And so I have to let go of my ego in, in a way of going, well, I, I can change the world. I can't. Yeah. I can't. I'm I'm rubbish at that. I'm not Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King or whoever else have done fantastic things in their life. I'm some random person. But that shouldn't stop me from doing every tiny little thing I can at least. 
Yes. And and being satisfied enough with myself that at least I'm doing that. It's not good enough and it never will be and I should do more. But also understanding that... Then not, not just giving yeah, up that's what, not in giving the face up. of that yeah. knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I think of... I think that sort of Judeo-Christian idea of good and evil as sort of... Binary. Well, as, as uh, say, hot water and cold water, and that you yeah. can sort of balance out your evil by doing yeah. good. I don't think of it like that at all. I think, you know, it's apples and oranges or apples and hand grenades, you know. <laughs> you get both of them. You accumulate both yeah. the, the good things and the bad things. They don't wipe each other around. No, not they at all. They don't balance each other in any way. You but don't. They, sometimes there can be a preponderance of one or the other so that in terms of, for want of a better word, your legacy or what you leave behind or what is the main part of you is either so much worse or so much better. Yes. That that's the thing. That well, yeah, in the end you're either... That's what you did. ...making a lot of yeah. apples into the world or making a lot of hand grenades. But yeah. in the context of Johnny Depp... Yeah. You know, his good acting is not diminished by his abusive behavior, yeah. nor is his abusive behavior diminished by his good acting. Yeah, but his they humanity is slightly diminished by his yes, bad behavior. His humanity is. Yeah, and till he... But and perhaps your respect for him should be. But the idea that you even thought because he was a good actor, he must be a good person yeah, is ridiculous. that's the thing, isn't it? It's just that we, we put people up on these pedestals and we, I mean, there's a whole thing around, uh, you know, when they were talking about the in, in the 60s and 70s and all these musicians and how they um, slept with teenage girls and stuff. And people are happy to be horrible about lots of, lots of artists. But when you come to Bowie, suddenly people go, no, no, he wasn't like that. But he was. Or she must have thrown herself at him. Yeah. But they were all like that. He was. The, the slight difference I'm willing to accept is that Bowie at some point acknowledged his bad behaviour and stopped it. Like the whole racism thing as well that he was very involved with and Eric Clapton was in the rock I against racism. Know that. Was well, there was... It's a complicated thing, but he had, he had made these sort of um, racist remarks and stuff. And Eric Clapton who I absolutely hate for this reason, never apologized for it, never changed his point of view. David Bowie sort of did and tried to make amends for what he did. And in that, there is some redemption and I appreciate that. And I kind of go, okay, you know, you, you changed your behavior because it's possible to be, you know, for that kind of stuff to go to your head and you do unspeakable things. And then you hold yourself, you know, and when it's held up to you, suddenly you step back and you go, oh shit, I, I did a bad thing. I need to stop doing it and I need to speak against it. So there's that nuance as well is possible mm. as opposed to people who just carried on with their bad behavior going well everybody does it um it's complicated it's complicated and it's difficult and it's but you i mean try telling bowie fans that well mate he was part of that shit it doesn't diminish his music or who he was or the kind of things he said but let's not pretend that he didn't do shit that other people were doing no, 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 you can't, you can't. So, yeah, that's uh, that visceral response of <laughs> protecting somebody that for unprotectable things or unspeakable things. Yeah, we learn, we learn that, we learn those things. Instead of being able to hold people to account and going, here, you've done this bad thing, stop doing it, there's redemption here if you make amends and move on to being a better person. Yeah, I think it's one of the problems in our society is we don't actually have a very good, clear road for redemption. You know, prison doesn't wipe out your crime in the eyes of society. You, you, like there's, for all the rhetoric of they've served their time, 
it's very hard for an ex-con to get a job, that stain on your character mm. remains. And with things like, you know, everything from actual sexual assault and rape to being a sexist or saying something sexist, it, it lingers. Yeah. Because we don't know how things can be redeemed. We don't have a clear path to redemption. I think we've become obsessed with revenge as well in a way that is not useful. Revenge is not useful. Punishment is useful. But I don't think revenge is. And I think... So I've, I've never been... A, like people say, oh, you mustn't name and shame. You mustn't name and shame. I've never been an advocate of that. I'm like, name and shame. Here's the person. I'm not shame, but name them. Acknowledge this is what they did. Hold them accountable. Hold them accountable. And then and for the person who's done something wrong, they then have to build up trust again in themselves by making amends. And once they've done that, they've done it. Yeah. And it's fine. But we haven't, we haven't learned that. We haven't learned to go... We're in this weird thing of going, let's not talk about this stuff. Let's, let's hide it. It's why we're in this racist bullshit that we are now because we kept going, you can't say these things. But we never explained to people why they were bad or what was wrong about them. Or why are you saying it? Where are you coming from? Not all, not all people using a racist epithet are doing it for the same reason or with the same... And I think intent and consequence are important. So that's the w weird place we're in at the moment where we've, we find it sort of... Like, name it. If you've done something bad, you've done something bad. When I was, when I was younger, we used to have... Like, you knew who the, for example, um, you know, the slightly dodgy uncle... Everybody knew who he was. And all the kids were told, never be alone with that uncle. And all the other adults knew to be, to make sure that nobody was alone with that uncle. And that uncle knew that everybody knew. <laughs> everybody had their eye on him. But there were other things about the uncle that were fine and nice. And everybody just lived along with them. Because what do you, unless you're going to kill people who you think have done bad things, um, we have to live with them. So how are we going to do yeah, that? Yeah, I, I always thought it was a, a really interesting thing. I had a, f a very close friend whose husband left for a year. He had a, you know, an affair. He left. He went away. He came back after a year, and they re, rekindled their relationship. And he was saying, "It's so difficult." He was complaining that it was so difficult for him because he. He knew that every time they would have a fight in the future, this terrible thing that he'd done would be on the table. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you need a quest. <laughs> you, need like, you need like a, a shed or something to build or a, a dragon yeah. to slay so that every time in the future that it comes up, you're like, no, 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 I built the shed. That's, <laughs> that's my redemption shed. Yeah. yeah. Maybe there should be something that's more like that, more visible like that, that people can do a thing. Yeah, whatever it is. I mean, there's a lot of work around restorative justice, which is to do with, you know, facing the person that you victimized and then sorting something out. And I think that helps victims and perpetrators alike because eventually we want to build a society or I would like us to be able to live in a society where people can make small mistakes or even big mistakes and there's a way back. Of course, there's some things which are unforgivable and beyond the pale and they can be dealt with. But proportionately, they're very, very small. Mm. to the kind of things that on a daily basis people end up in jail for and get further criminalized and so on and so forth. I don't know. I don't know how... I, I don't have answers for that because part of me, there's part of me that wants to do that, part of me just thinks human beings are assholes and we should just have a big cull. <laughs> That's the darkness inside me. 
uh, which would turn me into one of the human beings that I hate. Um, I think people are weak. And I know that I am taught, and when I say people, I mean even myself. If I want to be good, I have to set up my life and the things around me to make it easier to be good than it is to be bad. Oh, yeah. You if have, you have can, something to if lose. If you can do something wrong in secret, it's so easy to do it. Is it, though? I don't know. I th- um, because you have to still live with yourself if you've done a thing. But people are, people are very good at writing, rewriting their stories so they were the good guy or so it was justifiable or, or whatever. I don't know, but I think... Yeah, I think that's probably true to some extent. At least for me, it's all about setting up the things around me. As a but I think a strong conscience and that idea of being responsible for your actions and then there being a way out. Like when, when the kids were small, I always had my bottom line with them always was, I don't care what you do wrong. And I may get very angry with you about something, but we can get over everything. What we cannot get over is if you lie to me, because the lie will change the nature of trust in our relationship. And if I can't trust you, there's nothing there. Mm. And they they got it. I think they got it. And one of the great things about my relationship with the kids has always been, we've had some very difficult conversations and difficult times, but they have always been brutally honest because what we know is that the love is unconditional and no matter how bad the action, we can get past it eventually. And I think if we had more of that, then people would be more comfortable with, you know, being able to have... To, to make mistakes or to or to do something wrong and then go actually I shouldn't have done that let me admit that I did it because once you've done something wrong and not being able to admit it and you've got away with it and you've nothing to lose it becomes much easier for your conscience to do the next bad thing I think yeah I do think that's a slippery a slippery, a slippery slope. slope yeah yeah I would like to see well-meaning people come out and sort of admit to being slightly sexist or racist very openly. I think if you had that, it would, it would help. I think to some extent we all are. We Everyone all do. is. Oh, of absolutely. course, we all have stereotypes and gut reactions. And, and you admit, I mean, I, you, know, you do admit them to yourselves, um, hopefully. And hopefully you can admit them to other people. But I suppose in this current climate, you feel vulnerable doing it I'm 100% sexist if someone comes up to me after a show and goes <laughs> oh my god that was amazing I would love to catch up and talk to you over tea and they're a woman I'm much less likely to feel like they're going to murder me than if they're a man okay ah <laughs> oh, I wouldn't th- yeah not my, I, look I will I, I do kind of have a thing where I will scrutinise the words of white middle-class men much more than I will scrutinize the words of other, when I'm talking about comedians, especially when they're talking about something or they're expressing whatever they're expressing. Um, and for me, I will justify that by saying that historically, that is the, you know, that's the power group and therefore they need to be held to a higher account. Uh, and to some extent that's true, but because I know that about myself, I also have to then check myself and go, are you doing this just because he's a white middle-class guy or is there some merit to this? So in a weird, converse kind of way, I make it harder for myself to then criticize them, <laughs> which is very annoying and is the problem with my brain. <laughs> it's a, yeah, overthinking yourself into a spiral. I yeah. know, that's exactly what I, I love most in the world. Where can uh, people find you online? Oh, I have a website, which is uh, saminazahara.com. And then, you know, I'm on all the social media, but it's on my website. Um, 
yeah, come and find me online. Come and find Samina. She's a very <laughs> funny, political uh, and interesting comedian slash person. Even a person. Even a person. Even yeah. a person. Thank Just you about. so much for having tea with me. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Do you really?